Good morning. This is Brad Lacey, pastor of First Baptist Church at Conshohocken, president of the Philadelphia Bible Society, and for this hour, host of The Great Message on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I am delighted to share this broadcast with a fine young man. I count him to be a very dear friend and a fellow bibliophile, as well as a fellow Christian, Mr. Brandon Hartman. He is the proprietor of Second Time Books in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. We will share and and, uh, give commendation to his bookshop in just a few moments. But first, we draw upon the Word of God. We continue apace in the book of Proverbs. And from Proverbs, the 10th chapter, the 25th verse, we read this. As the whirlwind passes so is the wicked no more. But the righteous is an everlasting foundation, a verse worthy of reiteration. As the whirlwind passes, so is the wicked no more. But the righteous is an everlasting foundation. The righteous are those, biblically defined, uh, uh, as those who follow Jesus Christ Their righteousness is a gift given to them. The theological uh, nomenclature is imputation. Uh, Those who follow Christ have received the gift of his righteousness. It has been imputed to them, courtesy of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. From the Apostle Paul, the second book to the, or letter to the Corinthians, the fifth chapter, he who knew no sin, became sin, that those of us who did not know righteousness might know righteousness as a gift from God. That is the Brad Lacey paraphrase, to be sure. But this righteousness is Christ's gift to us, and once a Christian receives it, now the Christian, indeed the entire collective known as the Church of Jesus Christ, at least by way of divine intention, is meant to be a gift to the world. We are meant to be the righteousness of Christ before the world. Granted, and any Christian who has experienced life, we know that that life can be hard. We know that we live in a corrupt world. And Jesus said that I'm sending you out like sheep to be slaughtered into a very nasty world. But he does give us his promise. And I want to speak to this effect yet a bit more. The righteousness that is ours, the righteousness that we give forth in Christ as a gift to the world and as a witness to Christ is predicated upon both the character and the promise of God. And as we have quoted in recent weeks, again from 2 Corinthians, this time from the very first chapter, all of the promises of God, they are not yes and no, but in Christ, all of the promises of God are a resounding yes. And this is to the glory and to the amen of God. So God has promised, and God, thankfully, is good to his word. Politicians, even with the finest of intentions, will not always be good to their word. 
preachers and pastors and priests, we may mean well, we may be motivated by godly intent, but in our fallenness, we may not always embody or back up what we preach. Hopefully, we are the, the victims, if you will, and the perpetrators, not so much of hypocrisy as inconsistency, but we will not always cut the muster. But praise be to God, he does. God cannot lie. God will never lead us astray. God will set us upon a path, and he will see us through, and he will see us through into eternity and into the fullness thereof of his presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is one of the promises of God that he will always be with us. His presence is guaranteed. And along, of course, with his presence, as we have been sharing, is his plan. God has a plan and a purpose for the lives of his people. I love how Jeremiah puts it, or in any event, God speaking through the prophet, I have a plan for you, one by which you will not know harm. My plan for you is one by which you will prosper and have a future. After 48 and one half years of Christian experience, after 35 and a quarter years of pastoral ministry, I have come to understand that this is an avowed truth upon which I can take my stand and base my life and not be disappointed. Praise God. Along with his presence and his plan is his power. And from what the great apostle Paul has to say, when we are weak, praise God, God is strong. And in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And when we are weak, in practical situations, we can look to him, cry out to him, and trust that he will empower us. And if we're not feeling the power, his power will be working uh, independent of us and yet on our behalf. The power of God is a promise, and it is guaranteed with the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we speak of his peace. And we are living in a world in which peace is lacking, profoundly, pronouncedly, pervasively lacking. And I hear people say they just want a little bit of peace and quiet. I had a lovely elderly lady in my church for years, and that was her signature statement. I just want a little peace and quiet. Well, the world cannot offer it, but Christ does. And he says, I don't give to you the peace of the world. I give you my peace, a singular variant, a very distinct and singular variant on what peace is and how it plays out. In this world, Christ says, you have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So the peace of Christ is extended to us. You know, when we extend our hand in friendship, when two men say, my Dear young friend Brandon and I, shake hands. It's an extension, if you will, of the peace of Christ. We're extending our lives to the other as a gesture of peace. Peace betwixt the two of us, love betwixt the two of us, affection and esteem betwixt the two of us. Christ has extended with his life his holy peace. But we also are promised his wisdom. 
And just in my Bible class this morning, of course, this is a recorded broadcast. So earlier today, my church, we were in Bible class together. There were some 12 or 13 of us, and we were talking about not simply the reality of wisdom, not simply the need for wisdom, but also for the predicate uh, of that wisdom having application, which is that we ask for it. And you know something, friends, and this is not meant as an indictment. It's simply an observation predicated upon 35 years of pastoral, and if you will, pastorally clinical experience. Very, very few people ever ask God for wisdom, by my estimate, because it would come up in conversation, in counsel. I could probably count on two hands the number of times anyone has spoken to me about the need for wisdom. It's not that they're wise. It's that they're not even uh, aware that they need to ask for it, because the Scripture says, if you ask for wisdom, it will be given to you. And 48 and one-half years ago, the grace of God came upon me in, in my, my deep psychological travail, and he led me to ask him for wisdom. So I asked him for wisdom, and wisdom was poured out upon me in the immediate and over the long haul of coming to terms with, with what was befuddling me, to put it mildly. I know the value of asking for wisdom. It is God's promise to us that he will make us wise unto salvation, and he will make us wise in and on behalf of our salvation. So friends, ask him. He will not let you down. He has promised. And also, please, his love. God has promised and given to us the assurance of his love. The classic text from Paul's letter to the Romans, I am convinced that neither death nor life, and I've dealt with a lot of death over my days, neither angels nor demons, and I speak literally, I have had encounter with both, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of the created order shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is his promise. It is rock solid, and there is nothing like the love of Christ. It is the most powerful. It is the most beautiful. It is the most meaningful commodity in the world. It works hand in hand, like hand in glove, with truth. And both come from above, and both are promised, both are given, both are assured. Praise be to the Almighty. Brad Lacey with the great message. Return in a moment. Brad Lacey returning with the great message on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. The notes before me read Conversation with Brandon Hartman. And this uh, evokes great pleasure. Brandon is a fine young man, he's my dear friend. And he is the proprietor of an excellent secondhand bookshop over in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. I love the title, Second Time Books. They are almost all in mint condition. It's an excellent inventory. Brandon specializes uh, in American history and I think British history. 
as well as the largest science fiction department I have ever seen. He has an excellent and hospitable staff. And to top it all off, he is a true and consummate brother in Jesus Christ. Brandon, welcome to the broadcast. You are entirely welcome. I thank you for joining us. This is your second time on the broadcast. We need to pre- that we need to turn it into a transcript and put it on the shelving at second time books, you know. <laughs> Brandon, you know, I, I'm enamored. You uh, are part of two Christian fellowships, one more traditional, where you, you go to church on a Sunday morning, and the way you speak of your more conventional experience, it's, it's a great delight, and you profit immeasurably, as I trust my people do in my more conventional context. But you also are part and parcel of a, another fellowship, one that you host in your home, and an entirely, if I may put it this way, an entirely different kind of person will come to that uh, as distinct from the morning experience. So I'd love for you to share with us your story of church life and what your experience has been and how you see God at work. Yeah, I, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'll, I'll try to be brief with it. But, I know But certainly um, having that background in the more traditional modes and then uh, like you're referencing here, um, ha- having something that meets in, in my house um, has been a, a unique experience because I think being able to pull out of the, that traditional mode allows me to see some things that I haven't seen before for better or worse. Um, and I would say to, to be brief about it is the biggest thing that I have learned over the last couple of years where I have a church meeting in the house is uh, the, the patience of God to do his work in us and, uh, <laughs> and our refusal to sort of be changed um, and how much I think uh, culturally and some of the things that we're accustomed to, just no matter where we move, uh, a lot of those things stay attached to us. And so, so much of this has been rather than like these ideals and these big dreams of, of, of things that I have is more, wow, there's a lot of baggage here and it's going to take a long time for us to unpack this and get through it. And, uh, and I think there's some Bonhoeffer quote from his book, Life Together, where he says, I love it. Uh, one, of the, one of the greatest things that God can do is when you come to him with your ideas of what the church should look like is that he shatters them. Yes. And, and that's, it's been a lot of that um, these last couple of years as we've embarked on that. Well, I love Life Together. It's one of my favorite volumes from which, by which I have most profited. A comparable quote by the great C.S. Lewis relates to God. He says that God is the great iconoclast. Any and every image or conception that you have of him, he must smash as he continues right. to refine. Right our encounter with him. And yes, I love Bonhoeffer's compliment regarding church. 35 years into pastoral ministry, in fact, I shared this with my people this morning, and this is in no way derisive of traditional fellowship. I'm committed to it. I think God is at work wherever his people gather. And uh, our people are experiencing something wonderful these days when we convene 
on Sunday mornings. It's beautiful. But that being said, I learned a long time ago, Say we let's say that we invite someone to church on a Sunday morning and they come. Ostensibly, we want them to know the love and truth of Christ. And that's quite mm-hmm. illegitimate. The word ostensible is not meant to minimize the sincerity of the desire. <laughs> and yet, instinctively, we'll be expecting them, that individual who's come amongst us, to become just like us. And that is where a pitfall is to be found. They are to become like Christ, not per se like us in terms of our culture or the way we dress or what have you. Your experience with your home fellowship makes even greater allowance for people to be who they are, but to reckon with and come to be as Christ would have them. I think the traditional fellowship and the home fellowship, I think they're in complement mm. to each other. I think that's fair. Um, what I have enjoyed, I think to your point, Brad, about the uh, home church is that there's a little bit more flexibility in yeah. uh, someone new or a new idea or someone has a question. And there's an openness to that. And then to be able to say, okay, well, let's wrestle with this. Did we have plans? Maybe. But you know what? This is what we're going to do. And, and spending the couple hours digging through that um, rather than feeling beholden to uh, sort of the method that had been set out previously. Well, you know, the images in Scripture uh, for the church, the church is a hospital for sinners. The church is a training ground for saints. The church is the temple of God, and therefore it's an architectural metaphor. The church is God's garden, and therefore a natural, more organic metaphor. But you know something? The church also needs to be And I think my little fellowship has lent itself to this. You're experiencing it in your home group. But there's a reason why 12-step groups took off. They took off because the church wasn't offering that. In your home group, people can be real. They can be transparent. We trust they can be in your more conventional fellowship as well. But assuredly, in your more personal setting more relaxed. Christ is just as real, you know, and knowing you as I do, you're providing an environment in which questions are welcome and Christ is readily at hand. Uh, it's a beautiful thing you're doing. Yeah, the uh, I think I would say that the, the one of the ways that uh, has been important to us in sort of promoting that openness is that um, every week we have dinner together and when you think about all, whenever people gather, all the holidays, it always revolves around a meal, because that's that's how we talk. Um, there's a, a like a Jewish proverb that mentions that about how we're not just going to get together to eat. We're going to eat because we want to talk about the Torah, but we're not just going to talk about the Torah. We're also going to eat, and and how sort of integral those two things are because they go together. Because that's how, in a lot of ways, that Jesus designed it. Um, he's always eating with his disciples. That's, you know, the Last Supper. All of those things uh, go together. Isn't that how we get to know one another? Isn't that how historically parents right. in large measure, not exhaustively, have imparted instruction to their children? How is, was your day at school? Is a wonderful launching pad to imparting truth and wisdom and, 
and practical counsel. It's magnificent. We've actually begun in my little fellowship to observe the Lord's table on a weekly basis, and we are feeling the difference. Uh, we So uh, we must take a break, but we come right back. I want to pick up on another thought here. Brad Lacey and Brandon Hartman of Second Time Books in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, will return in a moment. Brad Lacey and returning with Mr. Brandon Hartman, proprietor of the most excellent secondhand bookshop, Second Time Books in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Brandon, along with being a bookseller and a family man, is a follower and servant of Jesus Christ. Brandon, you were sharing with us concerning your home fellowship, and I'd love for you to share with us. There's a story behind this, and please tell us. Yeah, in the sake of brevity, uh, my wife and I had always kind of felt some of those things, and 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 a couple of years ago started praying in earnest, like, what does this look like? And there was a conference that was happening that was discussing some of these things, and so we took the weekend and we went there, and. On the heels of that weekend, it might have been Monday or Tuesday, uh, a friend of mine uh, reached out to me. He's like, you know, I have something that I'd really like to talk to you about. Um, And he and his uh, wife were on staff uh, with another church. And they came over and said, so here's what we feel Jesus directing us to. And my wife and I kept looking at each other and looking back as he's talking. And finally, I said, were you at this conference too? Because you're literally qu- quoting what's what's going on, and and I think for us that was a lot of confirmation about where Jesus wanted to take us. And so at that point, uh, once we were in agreement, we said, "Okay, let, let's let's begin this work." And uh, they phased out of what they were working with uh, with the church that they were a part of, and then um, began this 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 planting and we had really felt that our role my wife and i uh was to support them in whatever means necessary and so the biggest thing was having a space to do that and we have a large living room and uh, it was very conducive uh, to hosting a number of people uh hosting a dinner all of those kinds of things and it's just really worked out that that we can do that and then our role is not prepping sort of the uh, spiritual side of things as much as it is providing the space. And I think ultimately those things are just as important that we need that we need those things in order to, to, to move to the greater. So uh, Brandon's uh, in my philosophical mode, space and time are significant commodities and God makes great use of them. I'm also very intrigued by how God confirmed uh, your your lead to do this. Uh, you know, I have a very dear friend of mine. He's now, we went to seminary together, fellow Bostonian. He now travels the world for Jesus, literally. He's the president of a group called United World Mission based in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he came out of a conference just as you did. And he it was out in the Urbana Uh, Illinois district, an annual missions conference, and everything he was hearing was confirming his sense of call. He 
went outside. It was a snow-laden environment. He laid down. This was 40 years ago. He laid down <laughs> on the, the snow-laden grass. And he, as a grown man, he, did a, he started doing snow angels. And he said to God, wherever you will send me, I will go. And Brandon, everywhere God sends him, he goes all wow. around the world. Wow. It was something comparable for me in the sense that I had said to God instinctively that I'll do anything you want me to do. And Brandon, I do anything and everything he calls for me to do. You got a very specific call here. It's a beautiful thing. How does your investment with home fellowship and the differing, albeit complementary, dynamics, it's all kingdom work, but yeah. how does it influence when you return to the more conventional Sunday morning mode? You make a good point about how both of those things are complementary. And it's it gives a, a distinction because I think like like in any anything in our lives, when we get going and we're comfortable in a particular mode that we go through the motions. And so it's given me an opportunity to stand back and see things for what they are and make some more proactive, intentional decisions about what is good and where is Jesus taking us versus what am I comfortable with and what do I like that don't really line up with any anything that he's asking me to do, but, but I just like it and it's nice, but is it preventing me from something greater? And so uh, there, there's good and bad in both. The biggest thing, which in a lot of prayer has come out with a couple of the, the, the people with uh, the home church gathering has really been approaching all of it with open hands so that both we are able to, God is able to take things out of it that he doesn't want there, and he's able to put things into it. Because we can just as easily get comfortable and uh, sort of caught up and stuck up in, well, this is our mode of doing it, and, and it's superior to yours. And what does that gain the kingdom? Nothing. Nothing. Nada. Yeah. That's right. Nada. You know, uh, once uh, maybe every six weeks to two months, I have the privilege of going up with my daughter and granddaughter to Times Square Church in Manhattan. It's yeah. an old theater hall, fully renovated. It's gorgeous, powerful, meaningful worship, uh, always a powerful word straight from the scripture. The love of Christ could be cut with a butter knife. And what I find is that when I come back to my own fellowship, I'm that much more motivated for my people to be receiving something of comparable value. Mm -hmm. I want them to know how meaningful and how real and how beautiful is Jesus Christ and life in him. So when we have these uh, outside, uh, kind of, a, out, for lack of a better word or phrase, adjunct yeah. experiences, they do reinforce what God has for us in the in the amidst the rank and file and the bread and butter expressions of Christianity, I have some people now coming to church who have their own outside ministries, and it makes an appreciable difference to the life of our Sunday fellowship. It really does. When I travel to Russia and India, 
My wife joined me for one year apiece. Uh, we come back transformed, mm. and we bring that to the to the table and to the and to the fabric of our fellowship. And a difference is struck. Now, you did say earlier that people are resistant to being transformed, or words to that effect. I love what yeah. the great William Law, the 18th century English divine, had to say, and I quote, we must begin again to be. And that is it the is. predicate of Christian it life, is. is it not? That's well said. Absolutely. <laughs> I wish I said it. It was a guy named William Law. You. You can quote me, but I have to give attribution to him. Now, you have a signature expression that absolutely enchants me. Uh, when you sign off a, a note or a letter, you always sign off with the signature phrase, until the whole world knows. Tell us about this. Yeah, that's gone through the meaning of it or the emphasis has gone through a number of transmutations over the years. Uh, all of them important, but the the first one was probably with a lot of zeal that the whole world needs to know, and I'm going to be the one to tell them, uh, which was <laughs> a, a little bit self-absorbed, I think at times, and and then it and then it's gone to, well, what is what is this? What are the s spheres that I exist in, and what's my role in those spheres, the world that I exist in? And, and at other times, uh, I think it's ag simply acknowledging that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in the end. Um, but as time goes on in all of those, this idea that the whole world will hear is more about acknowledging the sovereignty of Jesus to accomplish his will. So whether that's through me or someone else uh, or his second coming, uh, the whole world is going to hear, and uh, that's worth proclaiming. Well, and, you know, um, the conventional perception of missions is that we're ministering to little children in Africa or, or Southeast Asia, and we are, the grace of God. Mm -hmm. But the great John Stott, the English Bible expositor, was very adamant and applied great resources to uh, bringing the gospel to the intelligentsia on college campuses throughout the world. It's good. <laughs> you're, do, you're living within the realm of, of uh, bibliophilia. And, you know, lots of people read books, but that doesn't mean they know the book, which is the <laughs> Word of God, you know. And I love words, and I write poetry, and I've written some essays and the like. I love to apply my love for words to the proclamation of the gospel. It's a beautiful thing to me. Brandon, until the whole world knows, you are a young man, you've got your life ahead of you, but you're doing your part, and by my estimate, in a very substantive and qualitative way. I praise God for you. We have one more round of discussion. It flies by. Brad Lacey, like a good book, Brad Lacey and Brandon Hartman of Second Time Books, Mount Laurel, New Jersey. We return for a final round in just a minute. Brad Lacey and Mr. Brandon Hartman, proprietor of Second Time Books, Mount Laurel, New Jersey, fellow traveler, fellow believer, fellow partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
Brandon, until the whole world knows, but your world uh, in the immediate is shaped and given substance by a wife and children, uh, two fellowships, a staff, and a clientele. And I'd love for you just for a few moments to share with us how your sense of Christ, your desire for Christ to be made known, how does this play out in your more immediate context? It's not easy always, and yet it, the call is just the same. It does get complicated at times when uh, existing and living in an environment, which we all are, where people have, have different ideas and, and perceptions of, of who Jesus is uh, or don't, um, certainly in kind of this postmodern society that we're... Uh, a part of. Uh, but what has been helpful to me, or perhaps what hasn't been helpful, is sometimes uh, pithy adages that we use to explain situations. But but one that, that applies in this sense anyway, is that uh, people don't care what you believe. Sometimes people say people don't care what you think, but um, people don't care what you believe until they believe what you care does have some application. And for me, especially as it relates to the bookstore, interacting with my staff and with customers is striving for excellence in everything. So if I'm complaining, if I'm being dishonest uh, or anything else that misrepresents Jesus, uh, then I don't think anyone is going to want to hear what I have to say. And one of the, the, the best ways that I think that that plays out is people who are living in lifestyles that I know sort of directly uh, go against what Jesus desires for them as represented in the Bible. Um, those are the kinds of people that I get the most joy in serving and saying, whatever you need, let me, let me in the context of this bookstore, pour out my life for you. Uh, and that's been so rewarding. Um, and I think that people need to know that they're loved and, yeah. and, and that Jesus will do the, do the work. You know, even those of us who speak of the love of Christ, I can, I'm sure I speak for a, a legion of evangelicals. Years before we came to experience the love of Christ, we may have been preaching and teaching the doctrine of the love of Christ, but that's not the same thing as actually encountering it receiving it, and as you're endeavoring to do, sharing it. And I might mm -hmm. add, though your staff are not necessarily like yourself, born-again believers, you right. have built something into them. Your staff is hospitable. Your staff is uh, helpful. It's evident that they have a love for the environment, for the books, and for the clientele. And Brandon, I have been frequenting bookshops for 40 plus years in Boston, New York City, uh, Portland, Maine, uh, abroad in the UK. And I have to tell you something. You have the most hospitable and warmest uh, environment <laughs> and staff I've ever encountered. And that is no exaggeration. That comes direct from your philosophy that is predicated upon and permeated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And probably a little bit of just God's blessing. 
I can't, I can't take too much well, credit for I, that. Of course. They've, they've been wonderful. No, 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 I understand, yeah. but yeah. he is working through you. And that is the whole point. You know, I, I serve as president of the Philadelphia Bible Society. It's a small niche ministry. I love it. We, we do some nice work with spreading the word. And our motto, if you will, built into our, our charter is that we are to, and I quote, freely distribute the word of God. The American Bible Society, now also headquartered in Philly, the granddaddy of them all, global reach, mm. their motto, if you will, is to get people to engage with the scriptures. Praise God. But every Christian and every local fellowship or house group were to also embody that word. And I see the effects of your embodiment within the context of your shop. It's very evident. I've only known one other, uh, a very dear man named Greg Gillespie. He used to run uh, Port Richmond Books, a great secondhand oh, yeah. shop. Greg, delightful man. The shop is gone now. And there was something of his Catholic Christianity that bled forth uh, amongst his, his clients and patrons. But yours is a special place. Now, as a lover, not simply of people and of souls, but you are a lover of books, as am I. And you mentioned a few moments ago one of my favorites, Bonhoeffer's Life Together. Yeah. Might there be any others that one or two you might just come to mind you'd like for our audience to be aware of that might be helpful? Put me on the spot there. I am. I know. I think there <laughs> are a lot that I would go through. But let, let me tell you two recent yeah. ones okay. uh, rather than maybe apply for, for classics here. Yeah, fine. So concerning this idea of a, a see, seeing things as they are and, and not what we've become comfortable with, there's a great book out uh, a few years old now. It's called uh, Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. I and, know of it. I've not read um, it. Yet. Tremendous. It just, you know, it, it looks at the, the, the Eastern context with, with which the Bible was written and says, like, here, here's some ways that we've interpreted that. But to, a, um, to its original readers, what was its intent? And, uh, and just, just provide some clarity. And the other one, if you really want to dig in, which has kind of been blowing my mind, I've got to reread it again because it's that kind of a book, is um, by Christopher Watkin. Uh, just came out in maybe 2021. And it's just called Biblical Critical Theory. It's massive. It's definitely written for a more um, academic audience. He tries. He says it's for a layman. I'm not convinced of that. But um, but if nothing else, read the introduction. It's worth the price of admission. When I was last in your shop and we were sharing conversation, you made mention of this volume. And I need yeah. to take a look at it as well. You know, in a few weeks' time, I have a, a guest, a former English professor uh, from my alma mater of Gordon College, Dr. Chad Stutz. I had Dr. Stutz on last year to talk about C.S. Lewis. Uh -huh. And this year, next month, to draw upon a classic in complement to your selections, we're going to be discussing the life and the works of the great G.K. Chesterton. The Anglo-Catholic. Wonderful. Chesterton was magnificent. He was highly influential with Lewis. And my reading yeah. of Chesterton has it has blessed me, truly. And he was a man whose character uh, gave substance or substantiation 
to his message of the gospel. Any last words, Brother Brandon? We will need to close out. <laughs> I, what I'll say in, in closing is that uh, the Christian walk in my phase and season of life has, has been about being tempered and that as, as we continue to, to trust in him, and you even alluded to it in your, uh, in your homily there, is that uh, you know when we ask for wisdom, it may not be that the fork in the road that we need to immediately you know take a, a curve down, uh, but that as we're asking, he will equip us, especially for the future, and uh, and that's good. Praise God! A great last word, Brad Lacey and Brother Brandon Hartman of Second Time Books, Mount Laurel, New Jersey. We bid you God's blessing in every way, straight from the cross of Christ. Take care.